I want to start by saying thank you for joining me. Uh, I also on short notice, I think I emailed you like pretty randomly out of nowhere last week, and I appreciate you making the time to to do this. I would love if you could start, Dan, by explaining a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Tell me about Trapital and tell me about the work that you're doing. Well, first off, thanks for having me. Been a fan of you and what you've been doing for a while now, and it's been great to do this. Yeah, when you hit me up, Coachella was top of mind, so I was eager to get started. But yes. for those that don't know, I'm Dan Runcy. I'm the founder of Trapital, which is a media platform that helps artists become moguls. We talk about the music industry, what's happening, and how artists, in my opinion, have become some of the more influential business leaders in our society, and they deserve to have a publication that was covering their moves the same way that Wall Street Journal or Harvard Business Review was covering tech and finance. What's happening in this space is just as exciting. So started it four years ago. I've been building it ever since. Yeah, and I'm a fan of Trapital myself. I love the work that you do. I love how perceptive you are, the way that you you write and you speak about this industry makes it feel so accessible and understandable for people like me who have never really had a, a horse in the race, so to speak. Um, so that is why you were the immediate call for me to make when I started to really think a little bit more about Coachella. And I, I want to preface this conversation by explaining why I reached out to you in the first place. I have been, in a word, captivated by the Coachella experience on my timeline. Uh, I am somebody who has never been to Coachella. I have only been to very small music festivals in my life. Uh, But I have seen so much of Coachella on my timeline over the last 10 or so days. We're recording this right before weekend two of Coachella. uh, And it is just astounding to see not only just how many people are there, but the influence that this event has had on people who are living on the East Coast, have never attended Coachella, have never even thought about attending Coachella, whether it's the the fashion influencers, the music influencers, um, the, the actual people who are performing, Harry Styles bringing Shania Twain on stage. These are big events that I think have a real impact in the music industry. And I want to understand that. But I want to start by kind of getting at the root of this conversation, which is this. Is Coachella still about the music or is it about the spectacle in your view? And I wonder if the two are mutually exclusive? It's a great question. If anything, Coachella, more than any other music festival, has become more about the spectacle, I would say. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the one music festival that I think has a true, distinct brand. And there's a few others that I would put in that category, but I put that in a separate group because Coachella, at this point, is one of these festivals where Regardless of who the headliners are, they're most likely at this stage going to get some good ones. They're still going to have a similar type of crowd. They're still going to have a similar type of impact. And I think that separates this festival from many others that can be so dependent on who is there and who else is on the lineup. So I think that helps. But then also, to your point, there are so many influencers. There are so many other brands that come and look at it no different than something else. I always think about what the founder, Paul Tillette, had once said. He's like, he looks at this almost like a vacation destination for millennials and now Gen Z, and that's ultimately what it's become. So there is the spectacle of the Instagram photos and everything you do want to see around it, which does make it a little different than most festivals, I would say. So when we get down to, to the actual music part of the Coachella spectacle, the actual performers who are taking the stage to participate in what is a, a music and arts festival, what is the role of 
a festival of the size and scale of Coachella within the music industry. You know, you have somebody like Harry Styles, who I mentioned before, like, can you tell I'm a Harry Styles fan? Um, you know, The Weeknd, Swedish House Mafia, like all of these big names who are taking the stage, taking also taking up real estate on that poster that is now kind of become a meme in and of itself with some smaller acts that maybe aren't super well known um, or aren't known on the scale that somebody like a Harry Styles is. So I'm curious to hear from from where you stand covering this space, where does Coachella fit in within the broader music industry? And and what, I guess, is the utility of playing an event like Coachella? It's now, in many ways, become the unofficial start of festival season. Coachella mm-hmm. has made it a point to be the first one on the calendar. And with that, it does get some benefits there by Coachella making sure that it's earlier. It is able to have these clauses to have exclusivity with the artists where they can't perform in a particular radius around the festival for a certain amount of time, both before and after. And then also to help support that, the company that owns Coachella, Golden Voice, has launched other festivals in other areas just in case some of its other artists do want to be able to perform elsewhere. And it's interesting because now that festivals have become so popular and there's so many of them, artists are starting to look at a place like Coachella as a stop, maybe necessarily as part of their tours or as part of their normal Um, run that they would do. And I know that's something that Coachella hasn't necessarily been the biggest fan of, but they accept that this is just the way it is and this is how things are. So it's been very unique, I would say, in the role that it has, but it also is a place where I think artists do want to be able to have that stamp and do something special when they headline the event. I think a lot of us think back to memorable performances like Beyonce in 2018 and her being able to not just be there as the headliner, but making a performance that turned into a documentary that not only had her making money from Coachella, but had her making even more money from her being able to show that through Netflix. I think it's able to make artists want to make the most of it in a way that other festivals, even some of the bigger ones, it can seem as something a bit more of a tour stop. So I think the impact of that, you also mentioned Harry Styles and Shania Twain. That was such a memorable moment. My wife and I were watching it here on the TV last weekend, and I just don't know if you would see something to that level at some of the other festivals where surprise guests do happen, but it's just harder when they don't have that same kind of brand. Yeah, I think that the word iconic is often overused today, but that is something that is truly iconic. You know, the Harry Styles performance, Beyonce's performance, absolutely an iconic moment in in music history, but I think also in pop culture history. And to me, that speaks to one of the early questions that I asked you here about the idea of the spectacle. It's maybe not necessarily a bad thing, that a spectacle exists. You know, spectacles can often be a fantastic opportunity, whether that's a business opportunity, a, a cultural clout kind of opportunity. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad word to say that Coachella is a spectacle. But within that, I am curious about the perception kind of on the inside within the music industry. When you think about the people who are making like the big business decisions, the labels, the the agents, people like that, uh, what, are, what do they think of Coachella? Yeah, I think it's a few things. One, they They do look at it and understand the grandiose nature of it, right? I think it's 
up there in many ways with, let's say there's an artist that is going to perform at Madison Square Garden for the first time, they want to be able to make that a marquee event, or even someone like mm -hmm. uh, Olivia Rodrigo doing something at a Radio City Music Hall. Some of these venues where you don't even have to say the name of the city and they know where it's, it, it is, or, or there's some type of impact with it, I think that Coachella does have that same impact. So the industry is bought in to the spectacle of it. But I guess where they do push back, though, is some of the restrictions and some of the power that I think Coachella has been able to push with its influence. So for folks that may not know, Coachella is owned by this company I referenced, Golden Voice, which also runs Stagecoach and Firefly and a few other festivals across the country. But then that company is owned by AEG, which is one of the main festival promoters in that so you have AEG and Live Nation of course is the other big one that many folks do know AEG is smaller than Live Nation but this is one of the main areas that they do hold there so an artist like that or a festival like that rather does have the impact I think one of the unique things and I've talked to a few different music agents about this is there's all this positioning you mentioned earlier about how the festival posters have become a bit of a meme themselves people and their artists and their agents oftentimes will try to jockey your position to make sure that they get their artist to have the highest billing possible. That's just part of it, right? It's kind of this thing of how big your font size is, is a relative uh, impression of how popular the artist is or how much that artist matters or how much that artist got paid as well for being at the festival. So you have artists and you have agents and they many times will make promises with each other, but then they go to somewhere like Coachella. Okay, you may not be a headliner at a Coachella, but some of these other festivals around the country, you might be able to. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of it there. Um, and then there's also, I think, no different than any other festival. Coachella does deal with cancellations, but I think given the power it has, it's able to be a bit more flexible. So many people listening or watching this, I'm sure you know that Kanye West backed out of the festival. This is the second time that he did this. He did this uh, in 2019 as well. But The weekend was able to fill in not too soon after Kanye's departure. And The weekend was one of the biggest artists we have right now. He had one of the biggest years in 2020. And I think that speaks a little bit to the power where they can do that a little bit easier than some of the other music festivals can. Yeah, it, it pays to be a spectacle in, in some regards. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of these artists, they are doing their jobs when they're taking the stage. It might be a job that they love doing, but their ambition, I'm sure many of them, is not only to make art, but also to make money making that art and so we have to consider that Coachella is not just an event you buy a ticket for to go enjoy the weekend performing it's also a business and you kind of hinted at that with the the way that this is set up in a corporate nature that there are owners who are owned by different owners uh, and that all kind of trickles down to the actual event taking place it's not like this is just something that goes on somebody's google calendar right this is a, a money-making endeavor at least in a perfect world. So with that, I'm curious about how these festivals, especially those as big as Coachella, um, how are they making money? You know, what is what is kind of the economic setup of a Coachella? So Coachella does make money. It has definitely had its years where it took a loss, especially in the early years too, and even some of the ones after that. I believe the first year of the festival, they had expected to get 70,000 people and maybe they got 20 or 30,000. Mm -hmm. So this is dating back to 1999. They had the 
bold decision at the time to announce this festival weeks after Woodstock 99, which is one of the most disastrous music festivals we've had. So they announce it, and they also have Rage Against the Machine as one of the headliners there, who was also a performer at Woodstock. So it was a very bold decision to do it when they did it, but ultimately it took a few years, but they were able to get profitable. But from a, um, a P&L perspective, the money that does come in from the festival, so ticket sales, of course, is one of the primary revenue streams. Coachella now has well over 200,000 attendees, counting between both weekends. But then there's also the sponsorship money that comes in. And with that, there's also a lot of these brands that will have either activations in Coachella itself or outside of it. There's this company, Revolve, which actually had a its own mini festival outside of this. We can talk a little bit about that in a oh, second. Yeah. I and love it. There is. <laughs> and then there's concession as well. And then more recently you have more of the, the, the media rights as well. And Coachella has been able to make sure that it is distributing to get more of the live streams out and things like that. So that's where most of the money does come. And then from the expense perspective, of course, it's the money that they have to pay to the artists themselves. Now, most of the headliners can be get can get up to $8 million. I think that's the most public numbers we've seen from artists like Ariana Grande and Beyonce, and I believe Kanye West um, and The Weeknd were likely offered around the same for what they did. But then that obviously gets much lower as you go down the list. And then there's permits and other rights to um, the um, surrounding area in Southern California. So... It's one of these things where it takes time, like any other business, to make a music festival successful. So if you're going in it, you really have to be committed for several years. If you can break even with the music festival, even some of the ones that have been fairly successful, um, it is an accomplishment if you break even in year two or even year three. It takes time to get that brand to get that brand up there. People want to see it. People want to be able to see it come back next year. But Coachella is one of the ones that has lasted. Yeah, and I think that this this lends itself to one of the the more interesting aspects when we consider this from like a, a human behavior perspective of Coachella is the idea that Coachella has become this enormous event at the same time that we have all become addicted to the phones that we keep in our pocket. You know, that Coachella has taken advantage, surely, as as any business should, of the idea that manufactured fun, manufactured fun is, is something that we can sell on, that we can sell against, that Coachella can have all of these branded moments that go outside of just who's performing on the main stage at what time or who's billed at the top on this big poster, right? It's not just that that makes money. There are all sorts of offshoot kind of economies within the music industry, of course, but I think within you know the the broader economy now, we understand that creating these branded moments can be really, really valuable. And I think it's pretty interesting that Coachella came to this place of prominence kind of as that was happening, almost in lockstep with all of these new avenues on which we can make money via branding. Um, you mentioned Revolve Festival, which I am just endlessly interested. I, I think I tweeted like a year ago, almost at this point, that I, my my Pulitzer winning piece someday will be <laughs> dissecting how Revolve actually makes money on these influencer trips that they sponsor because I find it to be totally compelling. Um, if you don't know, if you're watching this or listening to this, Revolve is a site that sells clothing for women and men. Uh, some of it is very high end. Some of it is middle of the road pricing, um, but they are kind of notorious online for these 
incredibly lavish, crazy, luxurious influencer trips that they do all over the world. They literally have a hashtag revolve around the world. They do a Coachella event that has kind of become notorious this year for perhaps becoming the next fire festival. So can you explain a little bit what your perception of the revolve festival fiasco is? So this event this year was a story of two worlds. There's a story of the people that were actually on the inside which in many ways, it looked like they were having a good time. As Kinsey's describing, this is a luxurious looking thing. Like imagine the videos of what Fire Festival is supposed to look like. I mean, that is ultimately what it does look like in Revolve Fest. They've been able to create this activation and make it worthwhile. But the journey for people to get there was from what self-reported stories were a complete nightmare. There were people left stranded in buses. There wasn't enough transportation to go back and forth. The people that were in areas didn't have enough food and water. And you hear those things and you really do start to think about everything that you saw from that fire festival documentary. So it is a little different because the people on the inside were actually able to enjoy it. There weren't any pale cheese sandwiches with a sad loaf of wonder bread, like that infamous picture we all saw from fire festival. But to me, it highlights a few things. One, Of course, there is the schadenfreude of people just laughing at whatever influencer culture does. Oh, here they go again. But I do think that this highlights part of the challenges that I do think get overlooked with music festivals, especially newer ones. So Revolve, of course, has kind of grown into its thing where, especially in the early days, it was a bit more exclusive. The Kardashians went and a few others. And it used to kind of sit a bit more inside of the actual... Um, event itself but now it has its own distinct thing but the thing is so many times we've seen where these newer music festivals just don't have all the logistics and have all the things figured out in order to understand just how to move crowds how to get people to work effectively and even though Coachella itself may not be perfect at that it's better than most because it's been doing this for 20 plus years so when I think about that I also think about like what happened at the Travis Scott show last year or even some of these other events more recently um, you can even look back at Woodstock 50 which was supposed to be the 50th anniversary festival that was planning to happen in uh, summer 2019 it never happened and it's because there's just so many steps that fall through the cracks with planning events of this size and unless you really have a team that's all about it making sure that each point of logistics or transportation or any of that works out stuff like this can happen so when i saw the details about revolve it was a bit of that eye roll like oh of course you know this is what happens but luckily it sounds like for the most part there were no serious injuries it was more you know you know frustration but uh it was it's a shame because it's one of these things where it is just this wild spectacle and you just wanted to see how unique it is as this offshoot of what I think Coachella has become in some ways, but yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, you you make a really good point that uh, this was nowhere near what it could have been. And as is perhaps expected, uh, the influencer take on all of this was a little bit overblown. I think uh, from what I understand, there was a lot of waiting in lines, maybe less water than there should have been, uh, but it's not as if people were expected to stay in like FEMA style tents like they were at Fire Festival. <laughs> could have been right. a lot worse. It wasn't worse. that bad. Right, right. Um, but you know, I, I think that in some ways, a lot of the the takes that I have been seeing, because might also not come as a surprise that I follow a bunch of these Revolve influencers on social media. Um, this has been the bulk of my For You page on TikTok for the last several days. 
a lot of the takes have revolved around, <laughs> revolved, ha ha ha, uh, <laughs> have centered around the idea um, that, you know, there there is kind of this class system within the influencer landscape that if you were brought on the trip to Coachella and to Revolve Fest by the brand itself, by Revolve itself, you had no trouble. But if you were an average everyday person who tried to buy a ticket to Revolve Fest or tried to gain access to Revolve Fest, that's where maybe you didn't get that first class kind of treatment. And I wonder if that is a concern for festivals like this, like Coachella, where you can get these VIP passes. Um, a lot of the people I follow on Instagram said it's not even worth going if you can't get a VIP pass, which kind of feels like, I don't know, a little dense or perhaps like a little um, short-sighted or, or maybe even tone deaf is the word to say that. Um, again, I'm just full of the the play on words here, tone deaf at a music festival. Uh, but you know what I mean? That that there are these kind of caste systems within the the festival ecosystem. I wonder if that's something that the festival itself considers. At most festivals I've been to, they've always had something like this. And mm-hmm. there's been so many stages of VIP level passes and things like that, that I've always lost track. And right. you're trying to go into one section, buzz the pass and like, oh, you can't go into here. And I'm like, I have a VIP pass. Why can't I come in here? Or I have a backstage pass with an artist. Why can't I come in here? And it's like, oh, this is for this other group. And you just roll your eyes and you're like, whatever. But I think this is in many ways, it does make me think of we're in this era now where of course this generation is highlighting and prioritizing experiences more. So with that, everything is going to have some type of tiered system to some extent. Mm-hmm. And people do want to have that, whether it's at CNBC and in selling that image. This actually makes me think of something like the how the Fire Festival, even though it was a complete mess, the way they marketed it and they had the idea, it was this whole aspect of, okay, let's have this promo video and let's show the people that have the real access to do whatever they want in this place, but most of the people here can't get that. So how do you continue to sell that aspiration? And being able to sell that aspiration is always having some level that you just can't get to that may be a little bit higher than the one that you have. And I feel like even maybe from a mentality perspective, it's like if you give someone the VIP pass and they've experienced the full thing, then they may always wonder, okay, well, what's that next thing? What's that next thing? There's always like some level of access that leaves a bit of the intrigue that I think is there by design. Like yeah. they always say, well, it's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And I think we are, are towing the line of having a, a very interesting conversation about consumerism in a, a modern context. You mentioned that you lo- listened to the, the capitalism debate before this, and I don't want to redo that one. But, you know, I, I think that that is kind of just uh, the nature of the beast today, which is certainly interesting. Um, now, I have one last question for you, Dan, before I let you go here today. The whole idea that, you know, this is the first Coachella in three years, this is the first big, you know, like flood kind of event where demand was pent up for so long because of the pandemic. I wonder how that changed Coachella itself. And within those changes, do you expect any of those to filter down toward other music festivals, toward other big industry events in the coming months? I think one thing that stuck out to me about this festival was how the headliners do continue to evolve. I listened to this podcast last week. It was with um, 
Matt Bellany from Puck and uh, Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg, and they were talking about how more and more we're shifting to the festivals becoming more dependent on who is releasing music at that particular point, who are the newest people. And there was this moment where it was always purely rock folks um, that were the headliners, and then it shifted where, okay, maybe you have one more current artist and then maybe there would still be a legacy rock artist there and although you still may see this balance at other music festivals like i still see this all the time like outside lands or bottle rock up you know in northern california but i feel like coachella feels like it is shifting more so to be part of the ideal release strategy for an artist who is releasing music at that particular time and if that's the case then i do wonder if other festivals do start to follow suit with that, how does that shape the artists who may be the legacy acts that would love to be able to come because, or their, or their fans as well, because I still do think that having that ideal balance is how you maximize, whether it's the revenue or you maximize the experience at a festival. Like if it's all Gen Z headlining acts, I don't know if that necessarily would work, but maybe that could be the case in a few years from now. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think we're too far off from that, but that's what I'm intrigued to see because I feel like Coachella always had the balance where it was maybe there was, okay, you'd have a Radiohead or some other artist like that, but no, we could be shifting more so to having solely pop, hip-hop music. And I mean, as a personal fan of those genres, I'm never going to complain, but I do wonder how it will continue to shift the folks that do come. But like we said in the beginning to kind of bring this all together, Coachella is one of the rare places that does have the brand itself. So it'll probably impact them a bit less than the others, but it will definitely impact the others that follow Coachella's lead, but may not have Coachella's brand. Yeah, a perfect way to sum all of this up. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved this conversation. I always love talking to you um, and I'm just really grateful for the insight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun.